Hi there. Welcome to Liquidation Preference, the podcast that discusses everything founders need to know about startup law and venture capital over a beverage of our choosing. I'm your host, Andrew Kusmal, and I'm glad you stopped by for a quick drink. Today, we will discuss some of the important economic terms in a term sheet while I enjoy a special release beer. So grab a drink, pull up a seat, and let's get into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Kusmal Legal, the law firm dedicated to helping founders navigate the legal process of starting, running, and fundraising for a startup. Head on over to kusmallegal.com, that's K-U-S-S-M-A-U-L legal.com, to read great material tailored for founders and get help with all your startup's legal needs. So I chose a special release beer for today's discussion because they're typically very strong and very expensive. And that relates very well to today's discussion around economic terms for obvious reasons. These are terms that relate to the economics of the deal, and they are very powerful. If you recall from our last discussion, I hinted at that there were two broad categories of terms in a term sheet. Those are economic terms and control terms. With today's discussion around the economic terms, I want to let you know that there are quite a few in the term sheet. But in my opinion, there are three that are the most important and ones that founders really need to know before they start to raise their Series A. These are the price, anti-dilution, and liquidation preference terms. As I mentioned, it's important that all founders have a baseline knowledge of these terms because they're gonna put you on level footing with your attorney and your investors. Let's start with the price term. What is it? Well, it's the term that founders care about the most. This is the valuation of your startup. It's important to note that there are actually two versions of this term. You have the pre-money version and the post-money version. Well, what's the difference between the two? Pre-money is the value of your startup before investment, whereas post-money is the value of your startup after the funding. While this difference may sound trivial, it can have very drastic consequences to a founder who is using the wrong term or applying the wrong term in their thought process when they're approaching the round. I've noticed in my practice that most of my clients, whether intentionally or not, use the pre-money version of the term when there are negotiations with investors. What does this look like? Well, let's just say, for example, you're talking with an investor and they say that they're going to invest $5 million at a $20 million valuation. Well, according to a founder who's operating under the pre-money version of the term, what they're thinking is that the startup right now before investment is worth $20 million And after that $5 million investment, their post-money valuation, the company that's going to be worth after investment is going to be $25 million. Now, do investors view this through the same lens? Well, the answer is most likely not. Most of the investors that I've dealt with, when they're talking about valuation in the negotiation process, they're using, they're approaching it, I should say, from a post-money standpoint. So... What does that look like? Well, let's go back to that same scenario using the same facts. What they're saying is that the startup actually has a $15 million pre-money valuation. And after their $5 million investment, the post-money valuation is $20 million. With that being said, how does this 
look like in a, what does this look like in a deal? Well, the founder incorrectly believes that with this deal, the investor is only going to be having a 20% interest in the company. You take that $5 million divided by the $25 million assumed post money valuation, you know, that equals 20%. In reality, the investor is going to be getting a 25% interest in the company. You take that $5 million investment divided by the true post money valuation, which is 20 million, you're going to get 25% interest. You can see right there that if you approach this term in the wrong mindset, it drastically affects the dynamics of the round. You think the investor is going to have a certain percentage when in actuality, they're going to have a different one and most likely more. If you're negotiating this term with an investor and you are confused onto which version they're using, the best thing to do is just to ask them. That's what I tell my clients all the time. Just ask which version they're using. You know, it's better to look like a fool than to operate under the wrong assumption on this term. The next term we're going to be talking about is the anti-dilution protection. Now, this is one term that when founders read it or hear about it, they often misconstrue it into them believing that the investors are never going to get diluted. Well, that's not exactly so. This term is what's called price-based anti-dilution, and it only activates on down rounds. Well, what does that look like? Let's say, for example, in your Series A, you sell preferred shares to investors at a dollar per share. Year later, things aren't working out too well. You go to raise your Series B, and you have to sell preferred shares to Series B investors at 50 cents per share. Well, the Series A investors had this price-based anti-dilution protection. In this scenario, that provision would kick in, and the conversion price for the Series A shares would be adjusted. So what is the new conversion price? Well, that really depends on the type of anti-dilution protection the investors have. Now, there are two main types, a weighted average and full ratchet. Weighted average is far more common than full ratchet, and it employs a, I wouldn't say complex formula, but it employs a formula to determine what the conversion price is going to be. And what this does is it takes into consideration the numbers of shares before this new issuance at your Series B round. So how is that price determined under a weighted average? Well, again, you can break it down further into two types by either using narrow base or a broad-based calculation. Broad-based calculation includes all your convertibles, your options, and the employee option pool in the calculation for the amount of shares before issuance. Narrow doesn't include those previous those examples I just gave. Now, the weighted average formula, it does give the investors a benefit, right? It it reprices their conversion price of, for, per shares, but it's not a complete windfall like full ratchet. Full ratchet is much more severe. What this version of the term does is it effectively reprices your series A round to the series B. And when I say that, the conversion price per share. So if you remember from our example, with a full ratchet protection, the investor's conversion price would be priced down to 50 cents per share. If you've noticed, I've been using the term conversion price. Well, what does this mean? 
Well, to answer that, it's important to know that with this anti-dilution protection, when it activates, no new shares are issued right then and there. What happens is the investors who have this term get a discount on the price per share when they convert their shares into common stock to participate in liquidation events. Think of this as like an IPO or a merger of merger or sale of your company. Now, if you're new to the whole fundraising process, it's important to distinguish that investors in the Series A, they're not just purchasing preferred shares, they're purchasing convertible preferred shares. This means that they're able to convert those preferred shares into common shares at any time. Big picture, price-based anti-dilution makes the most sense from a deal structure standpoint. It just makes everything easier. I can't imagine the nightmare it would be having to issue new preferred shares to previous investors as soon as the down round happens. I know I would be pulling my hair out and I'm sure you and your new investors would be as well. When you're negotiating this term, it's important to try to get some form of broad-based weighted average. You don't want full hatchet. And also you want to try to push for carve-outs. Now, the most common carve-out or the one that I recommend trying to get is for having this term being able to be weighed by majority and in interest of the Series A investors. Now, this helps out a lot in down rounds because sometimes you're going to find yourself in situations where you are going to be faced with a down round. And while a majority of your investors believe in you and your startup and want to continue funding you through the down round, there are sometimes a few who don't. And they just want to be able to sit back and just basic and collect the benefits of that anti-dilution protection. What that carve out I just mentioned does is it forces those investors to be able to, well, it forces them to invest in your down round so they won't get diluted. The last term is the liquidation preference. Now, besides being the name of this show, this term governs the amount of an investor's return during a liquidity event. Remember, that'd be like a sale or an IPO or sometimes maybe even a bankruptcy. The typical liquidation preference is 1x, meaning that the investors get the amount of their investment back. Now, I know some of you may be thinking, okay, well, if they're only going to get just the amount of their investment back, then how do they make any money off their investment? Well, they're able to make money because this term, of course, I'm sure you could already guess, can be further broken down into two different types. You have participating and non-participating. We're going to start with a participating liquidation preference. What this term does is it allows the investor to not only get their original investment back, their 1x, but it also enables them to participate in the rest of the proceeds based on what their interest is in the company. So let's say, for example, you have an investor who put a million dollars into your startup and that investment equates to a 10% equity interest. The investor also has a 1x participating liquidation preference, and your startup is eventually sold for 50 million. Well, what happens in this scenario? Well, the investor would first get their 1x back, the $1 million, and then 10% of the remaining 49 million. So their total payout would be 5.9 million with the rest, around 44.1 million being split between you and your co-founders. With a non-participating liquidation preference, the investor has to choose to either get their 1x back or convert to common. 
Now, it's important to note that the investor is going to do whatever is going to give them the higher payout in this scenario. So using our same example with the exact same facts, but this time having a 1x non-participating liquidation preference, the investor in this scenario would convert to common and get 10% of the 50 million, totaling a $5 million payout. Between these two terms, you can see that a participating liquidation preference results in a higher and sometimes runaway return for investors. That's why it's important when you're negotiating this term with investors to put either a 2x or 3x cap on this term, meaning that they're only able to get two times or three times the amount of their investment back. In my experience, non-participating is more common. When you're negotiating this term with investors, it's very important that you do not agree to a more than 1x liquidation preference on this one. The only time I would recommend agreeing to like say a 2x would be if the lights are about to go off and you need this funding to stay in business. Overall, it's very important that you have a fundamental understanding of these three economic terms we just discussed. Not only will that knowledge help you better communicate with your attorney and your investors, it'll also help you understand the dynamics of your round, which is something that every founder needs to know. I wish I could order another round with you, but unfortunately, it's time to go. If you'd like to learn more about what was discussed today, head on over to my blog at Legal. that's K-U-S-S-M-A-U-L legal.com. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Tech Startup Attorney, that's attorney spelled A-T-T-Y, and on Instagram at startup underscore attorney. I hope you enjoyed our time together, your beverage of choice, and that you learned something useful. More importantly, I hope you enjoyed this much needed break from running your startup. Being a founder is stressful, and it's important to take breaks every once in a while. While you're always taking care of your startup, you shouldn't forget to take care of yourself. See you next time. Everything discussed in this episode is purely educational in nature and should not be interpreted in any way as legal advice specific to your startup. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's show and how it pertains to your startup or situation, please consult with your legal counsel.